0: K. Taquaye now presents Dread Nation Part 2 from the Dread Nation Duology by Justina Ireland. I'm Marissa Snyder
1: and I'm Katie Bradford
0: and this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast and this week we finished a new series by Justina Ireland. We read all the way through Dread Nation.
1: I am looking at this book and I know I read it but it looks so big and I don't feel like it felt that long while I was reading it. Is that a weird thing to say?
0: No because I was thinking the exact same thing. I flew through this book.
1: Yeah, and I I was going to say my biggest quote unquote complaint and this is always my complaint when I'm really enjoying a series is that I wanted more. Like I wanted more backstory, I wanted more I saw something that I liked and I just wanted to like live there longer and see more of it. And luckily we do have another book, but when I'm looking at it I'm like, "Whoa, it was quite a long book." that's a w- weird feeling to have because usually with really long books if anything I'm like oh they were like really slow here or mm-hmm. whatever but um I don't know this one went really fast for me
0: I totally agree and there was nothing there were there was no part that was tedious to me because I thought the pacing was really well done and for me I don't know for me there was like exactly enough backstory and like questions that are unanswered to make me like excited about the next book but not terribly anxious or I'm not feeling like oh why don't we just know what happens already like I'm enjoying the journey of like getting to the end um but I think the pacing is just super well done and every time I get to a part where like the action of one scene is winding down like another one is picking up so I think that's why I flew through it so fast it was just like there was always something interesting going on.
1: Yeah, I have two responses to what you said, though. I think if this wasn't a duology, I would be disappointed that things weren't answered. Like, I don't feel like I'm super left on a ledge necessarily, but... Some books we've read, like the first book especially, could almost be a standalone. Mm-hmm. This one, I feel like if it ended here, I oh, would no. be disappointed. Same. And then the second thing, and I think I said this last week, is I still think zombies are like a slow and boring enemy compared to like some other supernatural type creatures. But I love that we, because I love like evil people, which sounds like mm-hmm. a weird thing to say, but like I love smart villains or like clever villains because I, I, I just like outsmarting people too and like figuring out what mo- like that's what's really interesting to me so I did enjoy mm. that there were these what are they called shamblers were yeah. an enemy of sorts but they weren't the only enemy and I like that kind of complication where we also had this kind of like political intrigue and like all these questions and you know the racial systematic town, like everything about this town is just a little bit screwed up or a lot of it screwed up. And, um, I thought that made it way more interesting too. Like I almost liked like figuring out how they were going to outsmart the sheriff more than I even liked Mm. looking at the outside of the walls.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I think I kind of felt the reverse. Like for some reason, zombies like really do it for me. I don't know why, but like, I- I love zombie stories and like there are so many of them out there and I've read a ton but like I just feel like this one is told in such a new different way that I'm like excited about zombies but like doubly excited that it's so refreshing and I I normally also love whenever there's like a a human villain as well but I think my issue is I'm really frustrated with the villains and I think it reminded me of um when we read the winter night series and we had constantine as our villain mm-hmm. because when it, when the villain just subscribes to a dogma or a belief that is just so abhorrent or just so wrong it makes me like not respect them and just be super frustrated with them like i hated constantine because he like thought women were so inferior and like so beneath him and i hate the sheriff and the preacher because Like you said, they subscribe to this survivalist theory where they think that black people are just so far beneath whites, and it's hard for me to enjoy them as a villain because I just want to, like,
1: shake them and be
0: like, wake up, you're so wrong.
1: And I actually, I think as individuals, I 100% agree. And I I think if anything, I think this idea of the survivalist movement, in part because it is so, it is a mirror of our society even today. Like the -hmm. the way these beliefs and structures and all of this builds on top of each other. Like there is no easy solution. Even with the sheriff and preacher being killed, it's not like I think we've solved this racial issue by any means. Exactly, yeah. Because it's a system. It's, It's not rooted
0: in any individual. It's an overarching overarching system that needs to be dismantled.
1: And I think maybe that's more interesting to me than, like, the preacher himself or the okay, sheriff yeah. himself. I think, like, the more complicated nature of... He- like, if anything, I'm almost more intrigued by Redfern and the hmm. Tinker. What's his name again? Gideon? Gideon. Um, and some of these people who aren't so obviously bad but are also kind of part of the system and how... Mm-hmm. That and even some of these like poor white people who still like think they're better than the black people. But like to me, it's like almost more interesting. And interesting is maybe not even the appropriate word, but that is where we're like getting into some real stuff. And I'm and I think it's mm-hmm. again just like more complicated than like, oh, if we kill this person or if we do this thing, then we win. Versus like the zombies to me feel like if we chop off their heads, then we're fine or whatever. Yeah. Um, but again, there's i I like I have a lot of questions about the zombies now because we saw them pause in the big battle scene outside of the lights. So are they starting to reason more, and then this idea that they are like gathering? and I don't know, there's like yeah. there are some questions about sort of how they came to be and how they work, and that part is interesting to me, but the actual battles with the zombies aren't like my favorite scenes. I don't have a problem with them, but i that's not mm. like what I get excited about
0: yeah you're more interested in like the politics of it yeah and I mean this is like a really interesting time to be reading this book you know I mean it's bringing to light a lot of issues that we're kind of dealing with right now and I think a lot of us I know you and me included have been like trying to do a lot of work on our end to like examine our white privilege and you know learn how to be a better ally and just reading this book even just the way it's written has I've just noticed a lot of things too just like um I was noticing how in so many other books we read, we don't often get a description of someone's skin unless it's darker than white. Mm-hmm. And I like how in this book they call out like this guy was white, this guy had pale skin, and like I I just think it's so interesting how like in so many other books we read, it's sad but it's like the they don't describe anyone's skin if it's white because white is like considered quote-unquote the norm Mm -hmm. and so it's like it's been interesting in that it's like helping me examine you know how how we write about people in books and like the things that we choose to call out and things we don't choose to call out so i think even just like from that perspective it's been really helpful for me
1: Mm -hmm. no i agree but let's talk about this book okay So where did Um, we leave off? We had just arrived in the West, basically, right?
0: Yeah, and we just met the preacher. Yeah, he is
1: a no good, very bad guy. He's worse than the sheriff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. So he used to be an overseer. We learned that. And he is also the sheriff's father. Mm -hmm. And he ascribes to the belief that black people are the servants of white people, and that is, quote, unquote, the natural order of things. And he believes that the zombie plague Was brought about because this order has been reversed.
1: So, I have a question for you, and this is probably not an important question, especially considering spoiler alert, he dies by the end of this book. (laughs) But, do you think he is a true believer, or do you think he is using religion and stuff as a tool to maintain power? Ooh, that's a good question. Because he almost seems like over the top to me.
0: I think at this point in time, like if we look at this from a historical context, I think Confederate white people were doing anything they could to cling to power mm-hmm. to kind of just keep their social hierarchy and their social structure established. And so I think, like you said, he's using any tool he can to, to stay in power. Yeah. And I think in his case, religion is that is that tool.
1: Like, I almost feel like if he was a little bit more nuanced in his religious belief, like you saw him taking some of the Bible teachings and interpreting them slightly differently in certain situations, or like, it almost feels like a tool to me, like a very intentional tool where he's, if anything, taking other people's belief and reiterating, oh, this is what God wants, or oh, this is how God designed it. Or um, if you look at, what was it, the Book of Ham, or what was that reference at the beginning? I the curse,
0: Yeah, the Curse of Ham.
1: I don't know what that
0: was, but... I didn't either. I absolutely believe that he believes what he's saying, though.
1: I mean, I do think he believes he's superior to Black people, but I I almost just got the feeling that he also just wanted... Sometimes I just feel... Same with even, like, Constantine a little bit, like religious leaders almost don't feel like they believe what they're saying to me as much as they are like evil religious leaders in books and things, not like all religious leaders as a blanket (laughs) statement, but um, are using it, yeah, like as a political tool to like keep people in line and keep structures in place and maintain power. And especially because it's such a hard thing to argue with.
0: Yeah. And it builds on fears that you already have. Like, oh my god, there's these zombies out here. How do we fix it? And he's kind of providing a solution of like, well, you know, we have to re- reinstate the natural order of things. Yeah, I think he's definitely playing off people's fear and using it to control people and kind of gain more people to the survivalist way. I'm,
1: I really want to find out if the zombies were started by some kind of like bioterrorism mm. or something because the timing is just almost... what a. am using this in a mocking way, but what a gift to these white supremacists that it occurred when there was a fight for civil liberty because they are able to like almost point and be like, see, we didn't have zombies and then we tried to give black people rights and now we have zombies. Like, it, like the timing is almost, yeah, like I'm curious if it's actually like the southern people did something and like released some, maybe not even intentionally, but like we're doing something. Yeah. And, so
0: they could have a way to essentially bring back slavery because that's kind of what we're seeing here. Yeah. We get that with um, the new girl we meet, Ida. She's because she's from the south. Right, and she said that like there were so many yeah. shamblers mm-hmm. out there that it was really easy to get eaten. And she started her combat training at ten. And then if you you mess up or you make a mistake, they move you to another compound or they put you on the train out west. Um, so she was moved out west and i thought this was so fascinating because she said on her old compound if they can't use you they'll sell you to someone who can and jane was the one who was like well slavery is illegal and she mentioned that loophole in the Mm -hmm. 13th amendment that if Mm -hmm. you've been bitten by a shambler the amendment says you're no longer human even if you haven't turned yet so you don't have rights as a person anymore. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's so um, interesting because at this time, a lot of people believe that Black people are naturally immune to zombies. And so there's this loophole that, like, if you can... If you find someone who's, who is Black, you can capture them and essentially turn them back into slaves again because you can testify, like, oh, they've been bit, but they're not going to turn. So it's legal to sell them off out for work, which is, like...
1: And you can't argue that.
0: <laughs> you can totally see this happening, like, in real life, where, like, people who are facing the fact of losing power, like, cling to it and come up with these ludicrous loopholes to keep themselves in charge.
1: And it just reminds me, too, a little bit of, like, witch trials or something, where it's like, if someone accuses you of a w- being a witch, or someone accuses you of being bit by a shambler, or someone, acu- like, you don't really have an argument against right. it. Um, and the. The 13th amendment thing is so is an interesting parallel too. Have you seen that documentary 13th
0: yet? Oh no, it's on my list.
1: Okay, well it is a really great informative documentary about the 13th amendment and basically in in other ways that our country did the same thing because part of the 13th amendment is if you've been accused of a crime then you lose a lot of your rights and we basically mm-hmm. turned like the prison system into its own form of slavery especially yep. when we had like prisoners working fields and stuff in the south and it like legitimately wow. looked the, almost the exact same so but it was eye opening and powerful and shows everything since the end of the civil war to even today if you look at like the prison system though and like the unfair racial or unrepresentative racial divide in prisons and everything. And it kind of just shows how we've made these small changes in wording or like, like rhetoric, but basically slavery in some form has kind of persisted through our history in the United States. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely noticed that analogy. And that was a really, again, I love how she's taking this fantastical element of the shamblers and zombies and putting it in this historic context and kind of showing things in a way that's fresh and powerful. And in, and I think in some ways it's easier to hear it or interpret it because you don't get immediately defensive. Like I think sometimes when people talk about racial stuff, um, even like people with white privilege or whatever can get defensive because they feel like they're being accused of something or blah, blah, whatever. There's mm-hmm. uh, things get really, really complicated sometimes in having those conversations. But when we're talking about zombies, it's like, Okay, yeah, we know we're not talking about the real thing, but we actually are talking about the real thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's... I actually really liked the zombie fights. I, like, found them really cool. Like, the first time that the Horde attacked, and they give them gardening equipment to fight with. And then they find out later that they had all these awesome weapons, and they just were withholding them. It also just reminds me of that YouTube video where the brothers try and convince their sister that there's a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) After she had like her wisdom teeth out and they're like putting gardening equipment in the car, like rakes and hoes, and she's freaking out. And she's like, why are you putting gardening equipment in the car? That's not what we need! We need guns! (laughs) It totally reminds me of that. But like, that blew my mind where I was just like, this is so counterproductive to any kind of progress. And it just kind of made me realize, like, how expendable they thought that these poor people were, where they just, like, sent them out to fight zombies with, like, gardening rakes.
1: But even that seems, again, even from that perspective, it seems ridiculous to me a little bit because they didn't have an endless supply of people out here. Right. Either. So even if, like, you didn't respect them as, like, another human life, you would think you would still be like, we only have so many so let's protect like it just seems crazy that they didn't do more I feel like you would do more to protect um you know if you if they actually were livestock if you like had cattle you would do it you wouldn't want them just dying off right like it just is it was like so dehumanizing yeah terrible
0: yeah and I thought it was interesting that she recognizes a lot of the zombies as girls from her old school who were attendants Mm -hmm. in good homes so it's like even that whole system, she begins to realize, was, like, totally a sham just to, like, send him out here to die.
1: Well, and the uh, the first time she goes down off the wall and is helping those other two girls, mm-hmm. and I forget the guy's name, one of the B names, Bill, Bill Bean, Bob, yeah. freaks out and shoots one of them because he thinks they've been bit. And to be fair, one of them had been bit.
0: But not the one he shot, yeah. Yeah. He just, like, shot an innocent girl.
1: Yeah, so basically both girls died because... The system is terrible, and Mm -hmm. Bill was an idiot. Yeah, really. (laughs) Understatement of the year. But
0: the good news is they did find Lily. Oh, yeah! So they came out here to find Lily, Jackson's sister, and uh, Jane was very concerned that Jackson was intentionally killed, but he's alive as well. And they find his sister, Lily, and Lily shows Jane something very interesting. She shows her this shed where she sees that shamblers are actually being kept to work. And they're, like, generating electricity, essentially, to power the town. So they're, like, using shambler energy to run the entire town. And I think, I thought that was so interesting. Like, they're, like, harnessing these zombies to, like, use them as energy. And I don't know, like, technically they aren't people.
1: Because they never get tired? Or they never stop?
0: Yeah, they just never stop. They're, They're the undead. So it's, like... I don't know how I thought about that because I was like, yeah, technically they are sick and they're not people, but like they were people at one time. So like, I totally get if like one is about to eat your face off. Yeah, you want to kill it, but to just like use them to power the town. I don't, I don't know how I thought about that.
1: And it's another one of those just like examples of the privileged class people who lived on this one side of town who had electric lighting and all this stuff literally not asking what keeps the lights on. Right. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, they're just so used to getting what they want. They're like, yeah, well, it's not our business. Someone's generating it, but
1: it's not us, so we don't care. Yeah, because I don't think that would have been public knowledge, right? No, 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 I mean, no. I know she definitely didn't know, but there's no way that they would make it known that shamblers were inside the walls either. And he, his original idea was like, what's, like, hydro power or whatever. Hy- hydraulic energy but yeah and they're like twisted his idea and
0: well i think mr i think gideon is like a very interesting character because he is clearly egalitarian and he had a dream of like making this place uh an area where black and white people could work together on equal terms and like help create almost a utopia where they could get rid of the zombies and like live in peace together with technology and electricity But his dad, we learn, (laughs) was the mayor of Baltimore. He was, like, a very staunch survivalist and who sent his son out here in the first place. So, like, I really, I like the character of Gideon, and I'm curious to learn more about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's really interesting because he's definitely not all bad, but he's also not quite good. And, like, I mean, I still have a lot of questions about, okay, I get that your dad and you have different beliefs but like why did you stick around so long or why Mm -hmm. did you go along with all this so much and and I mean I know that's like again if you're it's not if you're not against a person you're against like a whole system and society and all this stuff it's like a lot harder but I haven't really seen I've heard him express beliefs but I haven't really seen him take very much action behind those beliefs yet
0: yeah I agree and like I hope he starts to do that more like I hope he starts to break the entire system he clearly likes Jane. Like, he clearly is attracted to her and, you know, likes her. And so I'm kind of like, all right, that's great, but let's dismantle the whole system before you, like, (laughs) go any further.
1: Yeah. Well, and, okay, so quick summary. So we arrived in town. We thought Jackson died. Turned out Jackson was alive. We found Lily. We found out about these shamblers under town. There was a big breach in the wall. A huge horde came in. Jane helped organize the resistance we found out there were weapons that we didn't have access to the whole time but we used them for this one fight we succeeded but just barely the walls falling down how did the wall fall i don't know i actually had a lot of questions about that too
0: like it caved in and the first time she saw the wall she was like oh yeah nothing's getting through that and then like a couple chapters later it was like well the wall collapsed and i was just like it felt intentional
1: In multiple places, right? Yeah, it
0: felt, like, it felt fishy, like, someone did it intentionally.
1: Well, and I thought, I mean, like, they were, like, walking across it, so it wasn't, like, it was, like, a brick wide. It was, like, at least a pathway wide, and, yeah, it doesn't seem like, and I thought they were patrolling it, like, every day, so did someone fall through it? Like, I mean... I don't know. Yeah, I agree. There's something fishy. And it was multiple places.
0: And, like, I get the theory that the zombies are calling to each other and basically, like, telling their friend, their zombie friends that there's food here, so that's why they swarm. But, like, enough to break through a wall like that? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Especially because the, it, it would be one thing if they were, like, smart, which maybe they're smarter than we realize. Mm-hmm. Where they could like strategize how to break down a wall but yeah you would think if they're if you have a 100 people who can't climb standing on the other side of a wall what difference does it make
0: oh my gosh wouldn't it be so interesting if the zombies were smarter and they were pretending not to be smarter just so people would underestimate them because that's been like such a theme in this book right like anytime jane like wants to accomplish something she pretends to act like she acts a certain way and pretends to be like she pretends to be stupid and very subservient just because like she gives people what they expect to see and then they don't interpret her as a threat and you, we see Gideon doing that too like with his limp he like purposely tries to mm-hmm. act less than he is so that no one suspects him what if the zombies are doing that too
1: what would their goal be though because they're literally being killed in the meantime
0: like getting people to drop their guard or like I don't know I just think it would be really interesting I think if
1: anything it's more of like more of like an evolution thing like I think the zombies we've been killing aren't very smart but maybe there are like some that are organizing them somehow like if the longer you've been a zombie or the least amount of time you've been a zombie you do have more brain capacity because we know you have more physical capacity that's true but yeah the idea of being underestimated is an interesting one that we see multiple times because we even see it with Kate and how she's in part able to get away with some things because she's beautiful and at first she hates it and then she I think it was Jane who was like my mom always said like that could be a weapon too and again Mm -hmm. it's like if she's just this pretty helpless maiden then she's not suspected of other things and thinking
0: (laughs) yeah Kate was... I thought Kate was interesting in this half of the book, too, because she has that moment where she... Like, she is enjoying the privileges that come with being white passing, but she also said... Like, she admitted that it's hard because she feels like she's turning her back on her own people, and, like, mm-hmm. that kind of complication is, like... I mean, it's it's complex, and it's messy, but it's true, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, her having that experience... It, it, it rang true... And I thought it was interesting because in a little bit later in the book, we also learned something about Jane's mom. Um, Mm -hmm. At the beginning of this series, we thought that Jane's mom was a very wealthy white woman. But then we learned that she actually used to be a slave, but she was white passing. And when the mistress of Rose Hill died, she took over her place, which I loved that, but they also kind of hint towards the fact that, like, it was hard for her because she had to uphold this false image. Um, And even though it gave her some luxuries and some privileges, like, I mean, how hard internally must it feel that you're, like, watching your own people suffer and, like, feeling like you're a part of it? Like, that Mm -hmm. had to be so complex and hard and just mentally difficult.
1: I did read a little bit about passing as white and like how common it was and some of the struggles yes. with it. And I think, you know, it, this book mentioned it and you just brought out a big piece of it is I think a lot of times people focus on the potential advantages. Like by passing as white, you may have additional political or economic advantages. But in order to do it mm-hmm. successfully, you have such a loss because you're losing your culture, your family. Mm-hmm. Like basically you have to leave your home and hope that no one contacts you and reveals your secret. And again, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in this time, people, and even today, still, there's a lot of communities that are, in order to help pass as white, you would need to go to, like, a white community and leave a black community behind. Yeah. And I was even reading about this woman who who was white passing and, like, moved to Iowa and had seven children who never knew that they had any black heritage. And she, like, ended up contacting them, like, another generation later. And, like, mm. it, it was just, it's it's so crazy to think about how bad our country is that you would be driven to, like, make a decision like that, even though it's, like, also understandable because of the differences in how mm-hmm. people are treated if they're perceived as white or black. Um, and also this, like, general idea of, if you have any black heritage, then you're black. So even if you're like one grandparent out of four or, you know, like even if you're more white than black, you're actually black or, you know, like things like that. It's just like really interesting to think about, especially when um, mixed race children were super common because the white plantation owners were raping their slaves and things like that. So it was really interesting to think about all the layers of complication there and like what, what could drive someone to do that so I I did read one article it was like a academic paper about the fluidity of race passing in the United States between 1880 and 1940 and they looked at like census numbers and things like that and they documented that over 19 percent of black males passed for white at some point in their lifetime and around 10 percent later reverse passed to being black and
0: it was just interesting
1: to read about, like, so, like sometimes people would pass as white to either get a job or get into school or something like that. But then once they had the education, or even, like, from 9 to 5, they'd pass as white and then go home to their... Like, it, it's just so many layers, and you're, like, denying your identity. And, oh, my goodness. How like, difficult. I think yeah. um, when Jane does share that story about her mom, I know what I asked of you, and I'm eternally grateful. I thought there was something else she said. But basically... um like asking someone to deny that part of them and like, keep this secret. And in order to like, fit into the society, you have to like, make some of these racial slurs or laugh at some of these racial jokes or like, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be. You can't defend yourself. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it was it was so it just completely reframed it because at the beginning of the book, too, we thought that Jane being born with dark skin was a problem because her mother was white and then we it just totally flipped on its head because it was like oh no the reason her mom thinks it's a problem is because it's revealing that she is actually black.
1: Yeah, I thought her mom had an affair but it was with like a black man but it was actually her father was her husband. the husband, yeah. the white husband and the fact that her skin was that dark revealed that the mother wasn't who she yeah. claimed to be. And it was also interesting, we did see, we saw how complicated their relationship and her life was in some of these flashbacks, too, because we saw not only did Jane almost get killed by the midwife when she was born, and her mother, you know, claimed her and said not to do that, but then, what was it, when she was five or six, her mother actually tried to drown her.
0: And I... I thought that was because she said it was during the initial outbreak of the zombie plague. And I have to believe that her mom did that because she thought she could give her daughter a better death than at the hands of zombies. Like in a way, it was like a warped way of like protecting her from a worse fate. Is that what you got?
1: I thought that someone made a comment about how similar she looked to the mom.
0: Oh, shoot. Okay.
1: Um, but I could have mistaken that. And then, because even when Jane mentions it late, when she says, when I was born, it was only a matter of time before her secret was compromised. She should have killed me, and one time she tried, but wow. I survived. That doesn't make it sound like she was trying to kill her.
0: I think you're right.
1: It sounds like more like a self-serving. And then we also found out that Jane was the one who shot her father.
0: Yep. And he totally deserved it. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, but, I mean, he did, but I just feel bad for a child having to shoot anyone. Yeah. I mean, like, he deserved to die, but she didn't deserve to be a murderer, yes. if that makes any sense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and even that was an interesting, because didn't they say, oh, he turned, but he actually hadn't turned?
0: Right, yeah, because it was easier to claim that someone turns. Yeah. I mean, and, and what a great alibi for, like, every murder that was happening back then. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we learned too at the very end that Jane's mom took a new husband. And this is what I'm most curious to know. I want to know who this husband was because the last letter that we get from Jane's mom says that her new husband uncovered her secret, that she is actually black. And so it forced her to leave the the, um, plantation and now she's heading west to California
1: yeah and again i was already kind of intrigued by her mom and some of the advice she's given and now i'm even more intrigued by her that we know a little bit more of her story and i'm curious if her secret has been revealed is she continuing to try to pass as white or is she embracing is she finally able to like be herself or like what
0: well i don't know because she's headed towards a survivalist town right
1: yeah but why would she pick a survivalist town isn't the one that jackson's been in that was my... I, like, actually have a lot of questions about this town that's, like, two days north of where uh, we are Ni- or whatever.
0: Nicodemus?
1: Yeah, because isn't that where all of whoever's left from Preston's school is now there?
0: I think so. And that's an, an egalitarian town.
1: If Miss Preston was, like, in league with the mayor and the survivalist town, why didn't she send the students all over there? <laughs>
0: <No idea. laughs> Good question. Anyways, I do...
1: These are like the, if this was a standalone, I'd be really disappointed we didn't know more. But because it is a standalone, it's like we, quote unquote, solved our big issue in that town and got out of Dodge. But now we still have this like bigger world. Mm -hmm. I'm also really curious, though, because I feel like when we read books that just take place somewhere else and we see things like oh people are being discriminated against because they like have magic powers or they don't have magic powers or like like some of these other things that we see in these other books um and we have someone who's upset with the status quo or able to like break that like by the end of the series we're at least hopeful that we've like changed the world right yeah and a book like this that is so close to our real world and knowing that we still have so many racial problems in our country I'm curious yeah. to see I mean yes it is a little bit different because we have this zombie factor but I can't imagine that we're gonna like actually maybe we'll find like one town that's kind of like a utopia or something but I like I sort of feel like we're that's a good we're question. not gonna really I don't have as much hope as I do when I read complete fantasies that like we're going to fix it. Yeah,
0: because there won't be a resolution.
1: Yeah, it makes me really reflective. And like you said, especially with trying to like educate myself more right now about my own white privilege and what I can be doing to help us get to a better world, um, given how long it's already been.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to leave this book knowing that there's still so much work to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I researched something that was... Pretty fascinating to me mm-hmm. because it was in the acknowledgments that Justina Ireland wrote about. Um, she was talking about the American Indian boarding school system that existed in the U.S.
1: and in Canada, just so you know.
0: Oh, and in Canada, okay. Um, and she specifically referenced the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, which was founded in 1879. And she said that that school kind of was like her inspiration for Redfern's character because she hints that he was sent to boarding school. Mm -hmm. And so she basically was like, yes, there weren't schools where children were trained to be zombie hunters, but there were schools where Native American children were sent to become quote unquote civilized. And Mm -hmm. I just thought this was fascinating because I went to school in Carlisle. I went to Dickinson College and this school happens right in that town. And, I mean, it's a horrible story, and it's a horrible history, Um, but it just kind of made me really reflective, too, because I was like, wow, I went to school there for four years, and, like, this was never touched on. Like, no one ever referenced it. No one ever talked about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I myself didn't do research into it, and so I'm just kind of glad that it's exposed now. Um, So I did a little research about that. So it was... One of these many Indian boarding school systems, where they strove to basically immerse their students into white American culture. and the the impetus for this was that they believed that it would help Native children advance themselves and like thrive in the current society. And so they kind of believed that the only hope for Native Americans uh, was to assimilate into white culture. So this, Carlisle Indian Industrial School was founded, and I mean the stories that went on there were just—it's—it's it's just so horrible. So like the students, they had their hair, their hair cut very short. They were expected to learn English. Um, their names were changed to give them English-sounding names. Mm. They were given school clothing that was American style. Um, the girls were given dresses, and um, there was a quote from one of the students. His name was uh, Luther Standing Bear, and he was, like, one of the very first students, and he said, the civilizing process at Carlisle began with clothes. Whites believed the Indian children could not be civilized while wearing moccasins and blankets. Their hair was cut because in some mysterious way, long hair stood in the path of our development. So they were issued clothes of white men, high-collar, stiff, stiff-bosomed stiff, shirts, and suspenders fully three inches in width were uncomfortable, leather boots caused actual suffering so like they completely stripped them of their culture like all the way down to their names so like luther standing bear he when he arrived they gave him a list of english names and said pick one and i mean he didn't speak english at that point like all these names were meaningless to him so he just pointed to one and that's how he ended up being called luther and i think that some schools Like, there was another one, the Hampton Agricultural School. Um, The main goal was to return these Native children to their people eventually. But in Carlisle, the goal was to completely Americanize these students. So his slogan was, kill the Indians, save the man, which is, I mean, just looking back on it, you just think, like, how on earth could this have happened? But um, they said that, From 1879 until 1918, over 10,000 Native American children from 140 tribes attended Carlisle. Wow. Um, Only 158 students graduated, and the tribes with the largest number of students were the Lakota, the Seneca, the Cherokee, and the Cheyenne, among others. And they basically... They forced children to leave their families at really young ages. They had to give up their culture, their language, their religious and spiritual beliefs, and just completely destroyed native culture. And they also hired out students for work to nearby farms and households, so it was a system that was like very reminiscent of slavery.
1: Have you seen the show Anne with an E?
0: Oh, no, but I, I just saw it in, the, in the, my queue today, actually. So it's
1: kind of based off the Anne of Green Gables books but it deals with a lot of issues in a really uh, powerful way especially considering it was based in the 1890s but there is this storyline that I don't remember from the books although possibly it was in the books I read them a long time ago and didn't read all of them but where Anne befriends a Native American girl and at the sixth place in Canada which is how I why I made the comment that I know it also happened in Canada
0: oh gosh. Gotcha. but
1: uh basically the The white man comes to town and is like, Oh, we want to send your children to school. And like, this girl is really excited because she's been wanting to go to school, and like, her family's really excited to send her. And she like packs up and heads off to school. And then Anne's in town, in the town where the school is, and she wants to go visit her friend. And we like start to realize how bad it is. And we see scenes where, yeah, she has being forced to speak English and like hit if she uses her native tongue her hair's Mm -hmm. been cut her name's been changed all these things and then her family tries to come to school and like get her out and they like refuse like it's I mean it's terrible and it's it's a lot of what you just said but I would highly advise the show if you're at all interested in Anne of Green Gables but it also deals with some other heavy topics considering that it's like a show about a young girl and whatnot but um it, yeah that was eye-opening for me and what you're saying like it it doesn't shock me at all that <laughs> the U.S. was just as bad if not worse but I know in Canada there was uh, I think it was like 2007 or 2008 or something like that the prime minister issued like a formal public apology to the Native Americans but I haven't heard of any do you know if the U.S. has ever like acknowledged or done anything to like make amends for what they did to the Native Americans
0: I mean, specifically with the boarding schools, no. I mean, they said that in in 1976, there was the Indian Child Welfare Act, and that prohibited the forceful removal of of children from their homes, from their parents, so...
1: Isn't it crazy that we needed a law for that?
0: (laughs) Well, because there was a law that was called the Civilization Fund Act of 1819, and that actually required parental consent... For children to be sent to boarding schools but it was just never really heated so like children were still often forcibly removed and they argued that this forcible removal was justified because the parenting practices of native americans was seen as inferior to white parenting styles and so they actually legalized the right to take children forcibly off their reservations in 1891. So they basically denied parental rights to Native Americans and it led to f- mass forced removal of Native children.
1: I mean, it's bad enough to like make a promise of education or like, because I'm sure there were s- at least some people who were like, oh, yes, like we're gonna have to work with the white people going forward. And, like, it would be good for my kid to, like, learn some Mm -hmm. of their... But, like, not realizing what the schools are actually like. And then on the flip side, I mean, and not that even that is good or anything, but, I mean, like, it's... Even the people who, like, would have gone willingly didn't know what they were actually signing up for, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Because they... Yeah, they said that once the children got to school, the communication with their parents was, like, virtually none. Like, they cut off all communication.
1: And, I mean, there are so many problems with our history, but especially anything involving children, just makes me so mad. I
0: know. What does that do to your identity? To your... I mean, psychologically, it's... Yeah, there's so many, so many problems with that.
1: Even if you just took kids from their parents and everything else you left the same would be, like, terrible. And then you add on, all again, all these layers of, like, yeah, stripping their identity, like, forcing assimilation, uh, Mm -hmm. basically deleting their culture. Like, what is this? Like, a whole generation who didn't learn some of their own cultural traditions and stuff too or I mean you know like there's yeah. just think about like the ongoing impact of that too and then generational trauma yeah. and uh, yeah. our country's the worst. Yeah.
0: So that was my research which was hard to read about but so so important and I'm so glad that I know more about it now especially since it happened in a, the town that I went to college in.
1: Yeah I can't believe that uh, that's where you went to college that's fascinating too yeah. that you mm-hmm. um, were right there and didn't know i think Anne with an e was a pretty uh good show on a lot of fronts but this was i thought they did a good job portraying this like historically too so you should check it out and they did a, uh they made an intentional effort to like hire native americans to play native americans and good. some of that
0: stuff and i'm sure they got their input too yeah. i mean i would hope they did at least yeah
1: and 13th also especially after we what we were just talking about with that Thirteenth Amendment, yep. I learned so much, and it put a lot of things that we even say today about crime and whatnot into perspective in a way that I was just like ignorant of, and it's embarrassing but true.
0: Yeah, I mean, just while we're on the subject of that, I read two really, really great books that I'd highly recommend recently that deal with the systematic problem of prejudice and racism that exists in our country Mm -hmm. um i read white fragility by robin Mm d'angelo which i recommend and it kind of talks to how so it's so often that people get defensive when when having discussions about race and kind of why and then i also read so you want to talk about race by ijeoma oluo Mm -hmm. Um, and it was wonderful it was Just a really well thought out book um, that just like clearly lists a lot of racial issues and just kind of provides a really good framework for how you can talk about these kind of issues and how you can position yourself to not only be not racist, but be anti-racist and like against the whole system and what you can do to try and break it
1: yeah i'll second that i also just read so you want to talk about race and it's one of my favorite of the anti-racist books i've read recently in part because i felt like it was really practical like i could start applying some of what i was reading i mm-hmm. i think i need to read it like five more times and keep reading some of this other stuff i'm reading and then yep. um white fragility is actually the book that my family chose for our book club so i'm really excited to talk about that oh, next great. month with them.
0: that'll be a good discussion i'm sure
1: But uh, from a fiction standpoint, I've also read some really great books recently. One was Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. Mm. And it talks about, it's kind of interesting based on the research I did this week too, but it talks about these twins who are white passing black girls and one basically passes over, marries a white man and Mm -hmm. has a daughter who doesn't know the family history and the other twin marries a black man and has like a really dark child and it's like a it's told from the two moms and the two daughters Mm. point of view over like um, decades and it's just a really eye-opening story and then and then I just read Americana which Mm. I know has been out for like ever but I... Loved the writing and thought the story was really powerful. And that's a little bit different because it, the main perspectives are not African Americans, but African, one who comes to America and is kind of observing our relationship with race as a foreigner, but a Black foreigner. And then the other main character goes to England for a little bit. And it, I also just, again, thought it was like a really great, powerful story, but also kind of an interesting perspective on just how weird our country is mm-hmm. and weird is not even how messed up our country is yeah. um but those are two of my favorite books i've read recently
0: awesome i will add those to my list um speaking of you, when you were talking about and with an e and movies what was your favorite scene in this book that you would like to see made into a movie
1: Okay, well, you can't make fun of me because I said I didn't like the zombie things, but I would totally pick a zombie scene for the movies, (laughs) and I I can't decide if I'd rather see them leaving town in the wagon while, like, everyone's, everything's, like, kind of going crazy around them, or if I'd want to see her encounter with the Shambler's when she recognizes that other Preston girl and they're, like, down off the mm. wall. I think I'd rather see those than, like, the big zombie fight. Mostly because the big zombie fight was at night. So I don't even know how well you could see it. But what about you?
0: Well, I was going to see the zombie fights, but now... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you like how I ruined your scene?
0: <laughs> you know, I... I mm, is it weird to say I'd like to see the Duchess?
1: No, I don't think that's weird.
0: Like, I would just like to see her character kind of brought to life. And, like... I don't know I'm very fascinated with the idea that there is a they call it a whorehouse but let's say there's some sex workers out there in the west Mm -hmm. um and they've come out there for various reasons so I think that the duchess is going to be I'm I'm hoping someone who has like hidden depths to her where she's like a much tougher person than she seems on the outside so I'm I would be curious to see her character brought to life.
1: And we've already seen her make some choices that prove she sees people, at least, and things like that. But we don't know her background.
0: Yeah, because she takes care of Jane after she's whipped, right? Yeah. Yeah, which was an awful scene. Oh,
1: I, I think I blocked that out already because that was, yeah, really terrible.
0: But yeah, she does offer to take care of her, um, which is really the least you could do. <laughs>
1: And she is on the way, like, she's with us right now.
0: Yes, so we do have the Duchess with us on our way to California. Well, on our way to, first, the egalitarian society, and then maybe onward to California. We'll see.
1: Yeah, do you think that the next book picks up, like, right now? Or do you think we'll, like, pick up once we've already settled in this new town? Or what are you thinking?
0: I would hope that it takes place when we get to the new town, because I, like, I, like, don't want to miss anything in between. (laughs) Yeah. But I do hope we see Jane's mother eventually and, like, figure out who's terrible husband is who betrayed her.
1: I kind of have mixed feelings. Like, the part of me that loves unhappy endings almost wants us to, like, figure out what happened to the mom, but, like, get there too late. But that sounds Ooh. terrible. Why <laughs> do I want these bad things to happen to these people?
0: Hey, do you think enough bad things have happened to these people already? <laughs> Baltimore is overrun at this point. I mean,
1: Yes. <laughs> But, but, you know, my, like, I always vote for, like, a character that I really like to die by the end of a book, and I don't know what that <laughs> says about me as a person, but, um... Okay,
0: who do you want to die at the end of this book? I'm voting for Gideon.
1: <laughs> well, I'm kind of voting for her mom, okay. and I actually hope it's not the end. I hope it's, like, or, or that she dies, like, for her daughter or something. Yeah. Does that make up for trying to kill your daughter? I don't think no. so, but it's a step <laughs> in the right direction.
0: It is. I'm wondering who the new villain is going to be, though, because Jane shot the sheriff and the sheriff shot the preacher.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad they're gone.
0: So they're dead. (laughs) Thank God. But like, there always has to
1: be a villain. And to clarify, the sheriff accidentally shot the preacher. It's not like the sheriff turned good and shot the preacher. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but I think, again, going back to it, like, I like that there are bad people but it's like almost structural and i'm glad that like these particular bad people are gone i don't feel that yeah. like sometimes i'm sad if a villain gets killed off too early or too easily but these guys i'm like good riddance let's meet someone new
0: yeah i bet the mayor comes back and he's the new villain now that i'm thinking about it because we definitely have to see the mayor again right
1: well now that we know he's gideon's dad that'll yeah. make gideon more it'll be interesting. interesting to see how he handles that so
0: oh okay i can't wait
1: should we uh Read about it?
0: Yes, let's read about it. Let me tell you a joke first, though.
1: Oh, do we do joke first?
0: Oh, no, oh, you're right. We can. Go ahead. Let's read about it.
1: I mean, let's do whatever we want. We, this is our podcast.
0: <laughs> um, let's, yeah, why don't, why don't we read about the new book? The second book.
1: I think it's your turn to read if you have it, but I have it if you do not.
0: Oh, I do. So the next book in this series is called Deathless Divide.
1: Which is an awesome title, too. Dread Nation and Deathless Divide.
0: Okay. After the fall of Summerland, Jane McKean hoped her life would get simpler. Get out of town, stay alive, and head west to California to find her mother.
1: That's like exactly what you wanted to happen, isn't it?
0: I know. Yeah. (laughs) But nothing is easy when you're a girl trained in putting down the restless dead, and a devastating loss on the road to a protected village called Nicodemus has Jane questioning everything she thought she knew about surviving in 1880s America. Oh no, what's this loss? Uh-oh. What's more, this safe haven is not what it appears, as Jane discovers when she sees familiar faces from Summerland amid this new society. Caught between mysteries and lies, the undead, and her own inner demons, Jane soon finds herself on a dark path of blood and violence that threatens to consume her, but she won't be in it alone. Catherine Devereaux never expected to be allied with Jane McKean, but after the hell she has endured, she knows friends are hard to come by and that Jane needs her too, whether Jane wants to admit it or not. Watching Jane's back, however, is more than she bargained for, and when they both reach a breaking point, it's up to Catherine to keep Hope alive, even as she begins to fear that there is no happily ever after for girls like her.
1: Also, just a side point, we didn't talk about this at all when we were talking about some of the other issues, but from a diversity standpoint, also two of our MCs, one is asexual and one is bisexual, which is great from a um, representation standpoint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We do learn that about Catherine, where she says, you know, she doesn't want to get married and she was talking about Jane's relationship to Jackson and she was like, I've never felt that way about anyone. And I don't think I ever will. Mm-hmm. And I like that Jane was like, well, that's fine. <laughs> like, it, you know, it didn't really phase her, which I thought was nice. Yep.
1: And we found out that Jane had a girlfriend or at least made out with a girl at the school. And like, that was like mm-hmm. no big deal. So she, I believe, is bisexual. But it's not a big plot point either, which is also nice.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, it's not like those terms even really existed back then either. Yeah. Which in a way is kind of nice. She's like, not you know, they're not labeling anything. They're just kind of like, hey, this is what it is.
1: Yep. Um, And I think we should read up to part two, The Road to Perdition.
0: Sounds good to me.
1: Oh no, we only have, this is only a duology. I feel like there's so much in this world we could keep doing.
0: I mean, the whole idea of like these terrors that these people are facing and that they're both real and fantastical. I think just that duality is like really, really well done.
1: I am very impressed, yes, with justina ireland and would be totally open to reading something else by her same now i would like a joke okay yes
0: this is the dumbest dad joke you will ever hear ever
1: that is saying something because we have done quite a few dumb dad jokes
0: (laughs) okay what's the cheapest part of a house
1: the uh i want to get this but i have no idea the penny nope the nickel nope i don't know what
0: Roof tiles because they're on the house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) So Uh, stupid. (laughs) I was not gonna get that. I also even when you said roof tiles, I was like trying to think like how expensive are roof tiles. (laughs) That's a good one.
0: I'm friends with twenty-five letters of the alphabet. I don't know why.
1: Oh, I need to okay. go hang out with my three-year-old cousin more so that I can tell jokes like this and he will think they're hilarious.
0: Yeah, he he's probably the only one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the right age, right? <laughs>
0: uh, all right. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us at mnktalkya at gmail.com.
1: We're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. And if you have other books, movies, things we should be doing to educate ourselves or ideas about how to deal with zombies have we t- we haven't talked about how do you kill a zombie we should do that Ooh, next week okay.
0: maybe next week we can
1: uh let us know
0: yeah and we're gonna start reading deathless divide
1: bye bookworms
0: go get a library card